All right, welcome everyone to our Purim or Purim celebration, however you want to pronounce that. So we have these little booklets, uh, Purim, Feast of Lots, and it's traditional in a synagogue service to have the entire book of Esther read, and it's usually chanted in Hebrew, but most people who go to synagogue understands Hebrew. But you've heard the saying, well, it was the whole Megillah. Well, it came from the synagogue because the Megillah is the name of the scroll that the book of Esther and synagogues come from. So that's why they say they read the whole Megillah or they read the entire Megillah. So for people who weren't raised Jewish, uh, I get a lot of questions about what Purim is all about. So the best way I could describe it is if you take Halloween, Mardi Gras, and April Fool's Day, and you put them in a blender, and you have Purim. So basically, Purim is the commemoration of the entire book of Esther. Uh, Purim means Feast of Lots, and we'll explain a little bit more about that a little bit later. But the book of Esther tells the story of the Jewish people taken into Medo-Persian captivity. And so the Jewish community in Medo-Persia was huge. Well, you had this uh, guy named Haman, and he was a descendant of Esau. So he was an Amalekite. He was an enemy of the Jewish people. And so he hated the Jewish people and wanted to exterminate them from the Medo-Persian Empire. And he tricked the king into making this edict to destroy that gave him permission to destroy all the Jewish people. Now, uh, um, Parim, uh basically he cast lots. So casting lots to kind of predict which day that this massacre was going to take place. And so that's where we get Purim from. It means Feast of Lots. And so uh, he rolled the dice. And according to Jewish tradition, the 13th of Adar was the supposedly the same day that Moses was born and the same day that Moses died. So he's like, oh, well, this is a good day. Moses died on this date. So that's symbolic of destroying all the Jewish people. So that, oh, I think this is going to go well. But he kind of tricked the king into doing this. And the thing about Medo-Persian law is that once a law was made, it couldn't be rescinded. You couldn't legislate something to get rid of it or there was no loopholes. So whatever a law was, it stuck. So like in Daniel, when the, when the people tricked the king into making that law that nobody could pray to any other god but the king for 30 days. And then Daniel got caught praying to Yahweh, to Jehovah God, and he got in trouble. And so he was thrown into the lion's den, and this broke the king's heart because he loved Daniel so much. But the thing about it was, is the king couldn't do anything. He, he stayed up all night trying to find a loophole to get out of the situation so he didn't have to throw Daniel in the lion's den. But he had to because the, the law of the Medes and the Persians could not be broken, could not be rescinded. So he threw him in the lion's den, but we all know the story. He survived the lion's den with God's help. So kind of the same with the book of Esther. When this edict was given to destroy all the Jewish people, there was nothing the king can do about it. But once Haman's evil plot was discovered and uncovered because Esther was the queen, she had influence on the king. And he's like, well, I can't do anything about this law, but I can give you the right to defend yourself. So he gave the Jewish people the right to defend themselves, and they ended up conquering all those who wanted to destroy them. And so it's traditional to read the entire book of Esther in the synagogue. And then it's also a tradition to retell the story of Purim in a very satirical, comical, and even ir irreverent way, so to speak. Because Purim is all about having fun. It's all about turning things on its head. It's all about opposites. It's all, you know. And... Um, 
The reason we dress in costume on Purim is because Esther disguised her identity. Nobody knew she was Jewish. I mean, she even took on a Medo-Persian name, Esther, which is the name of Ishtar, one of the Medo-Persian goddesses of love and war. And uh, her Hebrew name is Hadassah, which means myrtle branch. And so she disguised herself until the right time, and then she revealed herself. But God even disguises himself in the book of Esther because his name or his title is nowhere mentioned in the text. Anywhere, you will not find the name Yahweh or Adonai or Lord or the title God in the book of Esther. So God disguises himself. So that's why we dress in costume uh, to, to commemorate that and to celebrate that. So even though we're not going to read the entire book of Esther, because we're going to kind of substitute that with the story of Purim that I wrote, I do want to read chapter 4 because it's so uh, it's such a key chapter in the book of Esther that everybody knows in the famous verse that you were, you were called to such a time as this. So I just wanted to read chapter 4. It says, When Mordecai learned all that was done, he tore his clothes, and he put on sackcloth and ashes, and went into the middle of the city, crying out in loud, bitter voice. So this is after the edict was passed that all the Jewish people were going to be destroyed on a certain day. He went only as far as the king's gate, because nobody could enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. In each and every province where the king's edict law uh, came, there was a great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing, many putting on sackcloth and ashes. So sackcloth was like a, 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 a burlap sack. It was very itchy, very uncomfortable. And so you put on something uncomfortable because you're uncomfortable with the situation. You put ashes on your head because you're in mourning because it symbolizes death. When Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, the queen was greatly distressed. She sent clothes for Mordecai to put on so he would remove his sackcloth, but he refused. So Esther summer, summoned um, Hacketh, one of the king's eunuchs, who was appointed to attend her, and he ordered him to Mordecai to find the cause and reason for this. So Hacketh went out to Mordecai in the city square in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, even the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a written copy of the decree which had, which had been distributed in Shushan for their annihilation. To show Esther and to explain to her, uh, he instructed her to go into the king to beg for favor and plead before him on behalf of her people. Hacketh went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. When Esther spoke to Hacketh and gave him instructions for Mordecai, all the king's servants and the people of the king's province fully understand that for anyone, man or woman, who approaches the king in the inner courtyard without being summoned, he has one law. That is to be put to death unless the king extends his golden scepter, permitting him to live. But I have not been summoned to come to the king for 30 days. So they, so they conveyed Esther's words to Mordecai. Mordecai told them to tell Esther this answer. Do not think in your soul that you will escape the king's household more than any other Jew. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Who knows whether you have attained royal status for such a time as this. That's the famous scripture that everybody knows and that's quoted all the time. Who knows that you've attended this royal status for such a time as this. You have been called for such a time as this. 
Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews who are in Shushan and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days and nights. My maids and I will fast in the same way. Afterwards, I will go into the king, and even though, according to the law, it's, it's not according to the law, so if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai left and did all that Esther commanded him. So that's one of the most famous chapters in the book of Esther, and so I thought I would just read that. But other traditions of Purim is there is a pastry. It's like a triangular-shaped pastry called a hamatashin. And a hamatashin is this fruit-filled triangular pastry. And the reason we eat those because according to tradition, Haman had pointed ears like a, like a demon, like a devil, but he also wear, wore a tri-cornered hat. And so we're eating the hamatashin. So we're, we're just kind of, that's kind of a, you know, a slight on Haman. We don't like him, and it's like we're just going to eat him alive because we can't stand him because he's just like a little devil. So that's an, another tradition. Now, there is another tradition that is in Jewish communities on Purim that we don't agree with and we don't follow. But the tradition is, is that you're to try to get your rabbi so drunk that he can't differentiate the name Haman and Mordecai anymore. And they, they do another weird thing in a lot of synagogues is that they'll take the rabbi and flip him upside down in the air. So those are just some weird things. So jokes are played, funny songs are sung, tricks are played on people. In big Jewish communities, they pull out all the stops. They have clowns and jugglers and acrobats and, and uh, balloon sculptors. And it's just a very carnival, festive, Mardi Gras type of atmosphere. So we won't go that far, but what we will do, the tradition we will adhere to, is reading the story of Purim. And I kind of put the book of Esther in my own words in a very comical, satirical, funny kind of way. And it's audience participation because the tradition is whenever Haman's name is mentioned, everybody stomps and boos and hisses so that his name can't be heard because he's the bad guy. But whenever Mordecai or Esther's name is mentioned, we cheer because they're the heroes of the story. So it, it keeps the, the, uh, the participants engaged because you got to pay attention and listen for the names so you know what to do. So we'll go ahead and uh, read the story of Purim, and then we'll have we'll, – we'll nosh. That's the Yiddish word for we'll eat. <laughs> we'll nosh. We'll have an oneg, a, a party, uh, after we read the story. <clears throat> This is the story of Purim. You will know when it's time to turn the page. When you hear Haman... What's wrong, people? What did I just say? <laughs> there you go. You will know when it's time to turn the page when you hear Haman... Kvetch like this. Oi, Gavolt! Let's begin now. Once upon a time, in a kingdom far, far away, there was a Gentile king... A real big shot named Akrosh Verosh, who ruled over the Medo-Persian Empire, like Arthur ruled Camelot, or so he thought. He had a drop-dead gorgeous trophy wife, a real piece of arm candy. Her name was Queen Vashti. And when any guy in the kingdom saw her, their eyes bugged out, and they couldn't help but say, Aooga! Hubba hubba! To the dismay and irritation of their wives. Akrosh Verosh felt like showing off. He wanted everybody to like him after uh, barging in and bullying all the countries he conquered into submission and forcing them to fork over all their lunch money. He wanted to be seen not only as a king, but a mensch, a real party animal. But he kind of wanted everybody to envy him at the same time, too. 
Like most rulers, Ahrosh had a real low self-esteem. He had to rule it all, have it all, and show it all off. Some say he was trying to compensate for something or was having a midlife crisis of sorts. And so Ahrosh Barosh threw a kick and block party for all the big famous last names, rich snobs, big wigs, big dogs, high rollers, movers and shakers, lieutenants and enforcers of his empire that lasted 180 days. He pulled out all the stops at no ex and spared no expense. He hired the best DJs and MCs. He got the Medio Persian equivalent to the Rockettes and the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders to come and perform. He hired that day's version of Circus Dole and all the Houdinis, Chris Angels, Penn and Tellers, Siegfried and Roy's, David Blaine's, and David Copperfield's that he could find. If it was to be in the Las Vegas Strip, it was there. Oi, Gavolt! Whatever the top 40 songs in the different music genres were hot back then, he had all those artists and bands singing and performing. He had stunts and shticks and shows, mentalists, magicians and musicians, clowns, contortionists and comedians, orchestras, orators and orangutans, jugglers, jigglers and jesters, singers, sculptors and strippers. He had it all. He even had a petting zoo and a balloon sculptor and a guy dressed as a mascot from one of the gladiator games for his guests insolent entitled little brats to beat up on. Oh yeah, and I forgot to mention, he had the best character artist come from the Medio Persian theme park to draw portraits of all his guests. Akrosh Verosh brought in all the famous decorators and designers of that day. If their descendants were eventually on one of those home improvement DIY reality shows, they were involved. He also hired the BAM Emeralds, Gordon Ramsay's, and cake boss Buddy Velastro's of his time to cater the bash of the century. He even had those little weenies you eat with toothpicks. Afrosh Verosh threw such a dope party for all the guys, and Vashti threw one for all the girls. Oi, Gavolt! The ladies drank the fruity little drinks with the umbrellas and gossiped and watched the Medio Persian Chippendales. Uh, they even uh, were considering having their own reality show called The Real Housewives of Medio Persia. As the dudes were getting wasted, everyone was trying to outdo one another as they said, Hey, hold my beer. Arosh Barosh knew how Randy, the queen, made all the men in the kingdom. He wanted to make them jealous. So he had this bright idea to summon Vashti to come wearing nothing but a crown and a smile. He sent Waylon, one of the eunuchs, to go fetch her. Waylon, the eunuch, who had a high soprano voice, sheepishly came slinking into Vashti's soiree, clearing his throat and announced, <coughs> uh, uh, um, Hear ye, hear ye, the Grand Poobah, the Big Kahuna, the Mac Daddy. Oh, get on with it, will you? Vashti interrupted. Oh, okay. Well, King Arosh Barosh wants you to come to his party, strutting your stuff, and, uh, and, and for, for him and the boys on the catwalk, wearing nothing but your birthday suit and your crown. He told me he wanted to you, and, and I quote, shake that thing at the party. Your Majesty apologizes that he has no cake for you to jump out of. All the gals at Vashti's party gasped so forcefully <gasps> that they sucked the little feather in the eunuch's cap right off his head. Aghast and indignant, Vashti replied, Well, you can tell that narcissistic, beer-bellied, hair-plugged, George Hamilton-tanned, chauvinistic pig to go suck an egg. 
And all the girls went, uh-huh, and started snapping their fingers. It wasn't that Vashti didn't like strutting her stuff. She loved the way the guys drooled over her and went all goo-goo-eyed for her. But she didn't want to appear in the buff because she had an embarrassing little secret. She had a tail, like a monkey, like a furry little monkey, but without the fur. Boy, Gavolt! The soprano speaking eunuch backed away, wide-eyed and shaking in his sandals, and ran back to the king with Vashti's reply. When Waylon dropped the bomb, the guys at the party in Eunice went, well, Oh, snap! Oh, she told you! And they proceeded to make all these whip-cracking noises. A few of the king's right-hand men saw how red-faced the king, uh, how red the king's face was getting, and so one of them spoke up. Guys, 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 listen. This is serious stuff. If word gets out that Queen Vashti refused a king's order, we'll all be saying, yes, dear, instead of, go make me a sandwich. Do you really want that to happen to us, guys? Well, fellas, what do you suggest I do? Whined the king like Luke Skywalker. I, I say kick her to the curb, one guy said. Yeah, tell her, tell her uh, not to let the door hit her took us on the way out, suggested another. An overly excited guy, getting caught up in the moment, yelled, Hey, hey, crash her party and then grab her fist and make her hit herself with it, saying, Why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? And everyone stopped talking, furrowed their brows, and looked at the dude and shook their heads. And they could hear the, chick, uh, the, the crickets chirping. It's settled. The king broke the silence. I'll toss her out to the. I'll toss her and her crap out into the street like a woman who just got caught cheating with her best friend. And the king grinned triumphantly. And then the grin turned to a frown, and he said, "But, but, that will leave me without a queen. What's a king without a queen?" After a moment of bewildering silence, one of the king's main men spoke up. "I got it. Oi, Gavolt!" Let's have a Miss Medio Persian beauty pageant. Have all your prissy little squad of eunuchs, accompanied by guards, scour the kingdom for the hottest babes around and bring them in. The eunuchs will take a whole year and fuss over them and get them all gussied up. They'll treat them at the spa, do their nails and hair and makeup. And when they're all ready, we'll have uh, three rounds, evening gown competition, swimsuit competition, and finally, the talent competition. That one will be held in your private chambers. Know what I'm saying? Afterwards, you'll judge and the winner will become queen. What do you say? I love it, said the king excitedly. Make it so, he said in his best Captain Picard voice. And as young hot babes from all over the empire were flooding in, among them was Hadassah. Yay! Yay! <laughs> a beautiful Jewish girl whose parents died and was adopted by Mordecai, Yay! her cousin, and he raised her as his own daughter. But she was whisked away by the king's eunuchs and guards. Mordecai Yay! said, Hoi vey, Hadassah, Yay! promise me that you'll not tell anyone you're Jewish. Nothing ever good comes out of admitting that you're a Jew when you're in exile in a foreign country. I promise, cuz, Hadassah said. Yay. Wait, 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 wait. You can't, you can't go with a name like Hadassah. Yay. That'll be a dead giveaway that you're Jewish. 
Hmm. Let's 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 call you Esther. After the Medio Persian goddess. That's about the most goyish name you could have. After the year-long beauty treatments, the Miss Medio Persia beauty, pa beauty pageant was ready to get underway. One after another, girls paraded in front of the king's presence. The king was so bored. He huffed and he puffed and he rolled his eyes. Next! Boy, Gavolt! Next! Next! <laughs> they all looked plastic. All of them. They seemed to have duck lips, tummy tucks, silicone implants, butt lifts, and nose jobs. A few of them were naturally hot, but when they spoke, they sounded like a shrill old bag. And if they didn't look fake, they had a voice that sounded like nails on a chalkboard. Then, uh, uh, then they had a personality like a potato or a dumb as a box of rocks. Some were dressed in the most garish outfits, looking more like a drag queen than a proper lady. Some wore enough jewelry to make even Mr. T jealous. None of the girls pleased the king or could measure up to the beauty of the banished Queen Vashti. Oy vey, is there any one of these girls that got that natural, uh, let's say, next uh, girl next door look? The king asked in desperation. Wayland said, well, there's but one more, O king, who might fit the bill. With a doubting sigh, the king gestured with his hand and apathetically, oh, bring her in. Silently and with grace, Esther entered the room. And as she did, all the king's men went, Ooga, hubba, hubba. <laughs> the king shot up straight in his chair. Alas, I have not heard that cheer since Vashti was queen. Who is it that commands such a response from my most loyal subjects? The king raised his eyes and he locked onto Esther's lovely form. <laughs> As she gl glided down the red carpet throne room, as if on a cloud, accompanied by a choir of angels giving her a soundtrack. Hubba hubba indeed, the king retorted. In raptured awe, the king inquired, what is your name? Esther. Woo! My king. She said meekly and with a voice as smooth and as lovely as silk. The king was so excited, he jumped up and did the running man, the cabbage patch, and the floss, and exclaimed, Oh yeah, she's hot. She's, she's the one. It's my birthday. Get happy. Me too. <laughs> and so, Esther, <laughs> she became queen. And she was hotter than Vashti. Although, oddly enough, King Ahrosh did miss Vashti's little monkey tail. Every day, Mordecai... Woo! would stroll by the palace to check up on his cousin, turned queen. One day, Mordecai over... Guys, come on, that was pitiful. Mordecai all right, overheard two disgruntled guards of the king and their plot to fit him with little cement booties and have him sleep with the fishes. And without delay, Mordecai... Yay! Blew the whistle on the two clowns, and the king did them in by having them fitted for a nice hemp rope necktie. Oh, yeah. And as quickly as it happened, it was flushed down the memory hole, and everyone forgot about it, including the king. 
The king's most trusted advisor was a real schmuck. He was short and round, a big fat tub of lard with dark, beady little eyes. His head was shaped like an elongated jalapeno. A scraggly beard that looked like dog with mange covered his pockmarked gray face. A long, crooked rat nose protruded from his ugly mug, and he had pointed ears like the devil himself, and a creepy widow's peak that he hid with a tri-cornered hat. His name, when spoken, sounded as if, as if you were a cat coughing up a hairball. His name was... His name was... Haman! Um, Haman... Was a real big shot. He always went around uh, um, making people bow down to him and kiss his gnarled old vampire looking hand or lick his jackboot style sandals. He made people chant, Oh, Haman, you're so fine, you're so fine, you blow my mind. Hey, Haman. Oh, oh, hey, Haman. Oi, Gavolt. Then one guy refused to stroke squatty little Haman's ego. His name was Mordecai. Yay! No, he wouldn't put up with those shenanigans. He ticked Haman off royally. Bow, you little filthy Jew, Haman said. Boo! You can't make me, Mordecai would say. Defiant, arms crossed, and his nose in the air. Why won't you bow to me? Hamid would frustratingly say. It's getting hard to keep up, isn't it? Yes. Mordecai responded. <laughs> there was a Thank you. I won't bow to no one but the Lord God of Israel. Then he stuck out his tongue. Stammering, Haman challenged. Oh, 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 yeah? Well, we'll just see about that, bucko. You'll rule the day you crossed me. You'll rue it! If Mordecai yeah, yay, yeah, yeah. wasn't a righteous holy man, he would have given Haman oh, the finger. Right then, wicked old Haman Boo. <laughs> began to cook up a plan to annihilate Mordecai Yay! And all the Jews. He cast lots determining the best day to carry out the wicked plan, and the lot fell on the month of Adar. Giddy and confident, Haman strolled into the throne room and requested an audience with the king. Look, your majesty, if your king in your kingdom there's these troublemaking lowlifes called Jews. Just a bunch of hillbillies, sire. Real trailer trash, you know. You need to get rid of them before they turn Medio Persia into something like Burt Reynolds' movie Deliverance. <laughs> the king had his nose buried in some foreign document and was waving his hand absent mindedly and saying, Oh, yeah, sure, sure, knock yourself out. Haman wrung oh. his hands in delight. And he had this maniacal smile on his face, like Tim Curry when he played the concierge at Home Alone 2. Then he bellowed with an obligatory vil villainous laugh. <laughs> what was that? The king asked as he looked up from his document. Oi, Gavolt! Oh, oh, nothing, sire. I was just singing that song by Disturbed. You know, down with the sickness. You know, the one that goes... 
It's so catchy, I, I just can't seem to get it out of my head. Pulling out a pre-drafted edict, ordering the annihilation of the Jews from his sleeve, he put it in front of the king's face, over top the foreign documents that he was grossed in, and said, I need your signature, sir. Annoyed, the king threw the document back in his face and gave Haman his signet ring and said, Sign it yourself. Do I have to do everything for you? Once the document was signed, it became law, and there was no loopholes, and it could not be rescinded. The edict was copied and printed in all the various languages of the empire and sent out and was sent out as Haman <laughs> toasted himself. When the edict was read, everyone was like, what the heck, dude? All the Jews over the medio Persian Empire mourned as if Moses had just died. When Mordecai <laughs> got wind of this, he freaked out tore off his clothes, put on itchy sackcloth, and rolled around in ash, and cried like a baby at the palace gate. When Esther's Esther, servants yeah. came and told her the condition of old Mordecai, Yay. she sent Mordecai Yay. an Armani suit to put on. Ugh, nothing doing, he said through his tears. But, but, but why, the servants asked. Shocked, Mordecai Yay. asked, what? You guys have been living under a rock or something? You haven't heard what the Dingleberry Haman just tricked the king into doing here? Mordecai gave Esther servants a copy of the edict to take to her. So Esther's servants went back and filled her in on everything. When the servants saw the distress on Esther's face, uh, they said, Mordecai Yay! also told us to tell you, you got to get the king to do something about this. Oi, Gavolt! Oh. Me? Est Esther replied. Doesn't Mordecai know that I just can't waltz in and say, hey, sugar daddy, could you do your little pookie bear a big favor waiver and not kill all us Jews? I, I, I mean, I'm not allowed to see the king unless he calls for me, holds out his scepter to let me know that I can approach. If I just show up unannounced, he'll kill me. He hasn't asked to see me in a month. Esther's servants said, Mordecai <laughs> also told us to tell you that just because you're queen doesn't mean you'll survive this. If you don't do something, God will get someone else to come and rescue you. Rescue, But you and your whole family will be wiped out. <laughs> do something, Esther. Yay! After all, I think this is why God allowed you to be queen in the first place. Esther said, Yay! Okay, tell Mordecai to get the Jewish community together and fast for three days. And we all here will do the same. If the king hasn't called for me by then, I'll go anyway. And if I die, oh, well, I die. Three days passed and no summon from the king. So Esther, yay. yay, got up and dressed herself in the finest royal regalia, took a deep breath, opened the door of the throne room and walked right in. The king was engrossed in another scroll. Um, the king engrossed in a scroll, heard the door open and looked up as if, how dare you disturb me? Look. But when he saw that it was Esther, Yay! his face lit up. He couldn't help but hold out the golden scepter and say, 
Oh, my schnookums! How, oh, how I've missed my pookie bear! Tell me, how long has it been? A month, Esther replied. The king's eyebrows nearly hit the ceiling in shock. No way, really? Oh, I'm sorry, my petite chauffeur. Affairs of state and all, you know. No matter. Uh, uh, to what do I owe you this pleasure? Want to grab a bite to eat with m at me? At my palace? Just me, you, and Haman? What do you say, you old stud muffin you? <laughs> oh, it's a date. We'll be there, the king said excitedly. The dinner date was a success, and the king was in good spirits while Haman, oh. his head inflated like a Chinese spy balloon. <laughs> Haman, manners! Oh. Manners, the king pl uh, playfully chided. Oh, excuse me, your highness, Haman said. Boo! Oh. So, we're all here, my sweetikins. What is it that you desire? I'll give to you half the kingdom if you want. I'll even throw in the Medio Persian theme park, the king offered. Oh, no, no. It's all right with, if it's all right with my Mr. McSteamy. Can you and Haman oh. join me again for a meal tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. Esther said. Esther! Yeah. No problem, Cupcake. We'll be there, the king promised. Haman left Esther's dinner party thinking he was all that in a bag of chips. He even waddled home and bragged to his family about the whole affair, but he couldn't really enjoy the moment. What's the matter, Haman? His gargoyle of a wife asked, Who peed in your Cheerios? Pouting, Haman whined, I and the king are the only ones who have been invited to Queen Esther's yeah. dinner party tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, but it's all meaningless as long as the old Jew Mordecai yeah. is alive. Mordecai and Esther. If he was six feet under pushing up daisies, I could enjoy the moment. His wife piped up. Oh, stop your whining, you big crybaby. I'll tell you what to do. Oh, yes, you're really good at that. Haman said under his breath. What? What was that that you said? His old hag of a wife barked. Oh, I, I want a pudding snack, I said. Haman remarked. Holy Gavolt! Look, get off your fat lazy butt and put on your huggies and build a gallows 75 feet high and ask the king to let you lynch the old Jew on it. Once he's 86, you can, you can kick back and enjoy life again, his beast of a wife suggested. Haman loved the idea and rushed right off to do just that. He could, he could hang Mordecai, yay, yeah, the Jew in the morning, and then enjoy himself at Queen Esther's yay. dinner party later Esther. that day. That night, it's as if the king was hopped up on Red Bull and espresso. He just couldn't get any shut-eye. I know, the king mused. I'll get the royal historian to read me a bedtime story. He's got the voice like Ben Stein. He's sure to put me right to sleep. And so the royal historian came came in, gave king his teddy bear, and tucked old King Achorshberos into bed. Once settled in, the, roi the royal historian began to read. Once upon a time, there were two dastardly guards who tried to assassinate the king. Until Mordecai, Yay! the Jew, 
blew the whistle on the two goons, and Arroshverosh, the big kahuna, strung them up like Halloween hangmen. Stop! Stop! the king ordered. Has this uh, Jewish man, uh, what's his name, uh, Mordecai, Yay! has he been given a trophy, a medal of honor, the key to the city, or a candy bar, or even a coupon to the Persian rug emporium? Negatory, sire, the royal historian said with the excitement of a slug. Just then, a guard informed the king that Haman... Yay, boo! That's a boo! ...was just outside the door and wanted to see him. Ah, oh, good! Bring him right in, the king commanded. Haman entered and was about to speak when the king beat him to the punch. Ah, oh, Haman, my boy! I'm so glad you're here. I could really use your help. Let's say, hypothetically speaking, that there was someone I wanted to reward for faithful service. Uh, what should I do for the guy? Uh, think I should give him an engraved gold watch or something? Oi, Gavolt! Haman, thinking the king was talking about him, said excitedly, Oh no, lord! That will never do! What I suggest is dress the guy in a robe and a crown that you don't wear anymore. Get one of your top guys to parade him around the town on your best steed and have him shout, when the king likes a guy, they see him rolling and they be hating because the king thinks he's nice and pretty. Oh yeah, nice and pretty. Again, waxing very Jean-Luc Picard, the king said, Splendid! Make it so, number one. For, wait for it, Mordecai yeah. the Jew! Haman's jaw hit the floor with a thud that could be heard all around the kingdom. Haman stammered. Well, don't just stand there muttering like a motorboat. Get busy, the king ordered. The next day, through gritted teeth, to the letter, Haman was forced to do everything he wanted to lavish on himself. To, to his arch nemesis, Mordecai, Yay! the Jew. When the king likes a guy, they see him rolling, and they be hating, and the king says he's nice and putty, nice and putty. Humiliated, Haman returned home to his nag of a wife and told her everything that happened. How could you have messed this up, you nincompoop? Mordecai must be working some of his Jew magic on the situation. If you don't do something quick, her voice monologue uh, said with a raspy smoker's voice was interrupted by the king's servants coming to rush Haman off to Queen Esther's soiree. Haman, I didn't have a boo there, but I said Haman. Haman. Brooded through, the, that's my mistake, that's, a, that's, a, that's an error there. Brooded through the whole meal. After dinner, the, the king said to Queen Esther, So, so Dollface, tell your old dreamboat what this is really all about. Well, my, my darling beefcake, if I don't want, I don't want to bother you. I mean, if it was just that everyone I love would be carted off into slavery, I could simply have shut my pie hole. But the situation is serious as a heart attack. All I ask is that you spare my life as well as the life of my people, Esther replied. Esther, yeah. 
What? Who is this guy? Wallow, murderize him! Let me at him! Let me at him! The king shouted, spouted off in a rage. While still reclining on, on her couch, Esther pointed and said, I'll tell you who! No one but that no good, low down, dirty, four flushing, rat fink, long eared galoot, Haman! He wants to kill all the Jews! Shocked, the king says, Funny, you don't look Jewish. Then he shrugged, remembered his rage, and stormed off to the balcony in a huff. Haman, oh. boo, stumbled over himself to plead with Queen Esther, oh, Esther. and to beg for his life. But as he did, he tripped over the hem of his robe and fell on top of Queen Esther, uh -oh. just as the king walked back in. How dare you bust a move on the queen in my presence, the king bellowed. Haman oh. pleaded, no, 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 it's, it's not what you think, O oh king. Gods! The king yelled. As one of the king's aides stepped in, assessed the situation, and he, like many others in the kingdom who hated, uh, hated Haman, told the king, You know, your majesty, rumor has it that Haman has built a gallows in his backyard and was planning to hang Mordecai, the Jew, on it. Is that so? The king replied, rubbing his chin. In that case, hang Haman on the gallows. Now that's poetic justice for you. After Haman was hanged like a yo-yo swinging like a pendulum on an old grandfather clock, the king cooled his jets. That very same day, Mordecai, yay, replaced Haman, boo, and Esther gave him all of his property and possessions. Dressed like a king himself, he rose to fame and popularity, and everyone loved him. They were even wearing t-shirts that says, I want to be like Mordecai. Yay. To which, centuries later, Michael, Michael Jordan would steal that very idea. <laughs> oh, thank you, Snuggy Wuggy Bear. There's just still a matter of the old stupid law, Haman. Oh. Slipped by you, so that spells the end of all us Jews, Esther Yay. pointed out. Oh, no problem, sweet cakes. I'll just pass another law saying that you guys could defend yourselves, said the king with a snap of his finger. Once this law was passed, all the Jews heard about it and partied hard. They freaked out some of the Gentiles so much that they even converted to Judaism. Finally, D-Day for the Jews came on the 13th of Adar, but all the Jews were ready. They had knives and swords and spears and slingshots, Molotov cocktails and clay jars, catapults, potato guns, bazookas, Uzis, rocket launchers, Scud missiles, and death drones. Armed to the teeth, they annihilated the enemy like the action heroes in Expendables 1, 2, and 3. Um... I mean, it was like the ultimate warrior back in the day cleaning the ring at the Royal Rumble. Oi, Gavolt! That day, not only were all the enemies of the Jews defeated, but Haman's <laughs> ten remaining, stuck-up, self-entitled, penny-loaf-wearing, Ivy League yuppie sons were swinging from ropes, too. Yeah. Mordecai, yeah, Mordecai made it official that on the 14th of Adar, which is today... The 14th of Adar was to be a holiday of feasting and commemorating the victory over Haman's oh, thwarted plan to get rid of all the Jews. 
And there was a slogan for the holiday. They tried to kill us. We won. Let's eat. It also became a tradition in Esther's day to send those edible arrangement bouquets and fruit baskets to all the poor and homeless. And everyone lived happily ever after. The end. Kog Sameach Purim. Happy Purim. Happy Purim. Now we've fulfilled the commandment of reciting the Megillah, get basically in our own way. So now there's nothing left to do but give a prayer of thanks, a blessing over the food, and let's just eat and enjoy ourselves. And party. And party. Heavenly. Oh, I forgot. Of course. There is there is a tradition that whoever's in costume, which is very few of us, but anyway, we have we have to. This is just my tradition. Have to tell uh, how you fit into the story. So me being Batman. The Flash sent me through a time warp, and I ended up in Shushan, in Persia. And so I was able to witness the entire story of Purim, and that's how Batman became a part of Purim. So, there, we have uh, somebody who says she's a farmer. How did this farm girl get into the story? <laughs> okay, you were supposed to dress as a yeah, shepherd. I was a shepherd, so I was watching over my flock, and I as well seen the whole story. All right, yeah. and so we have this gypsy flapper in our midst. How, how, how did you? How did you? No, I just was uh, in the She's... presence of uh, Esther, and I. Woo! Yeah. Look like an she Esther. She gave her her fortune. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so let's let's uh, give a prayer of thanks and a blessing for the food. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is so full of holidays and observances and fun things that we can do. Not only the Leviticus 23 feast that you commanded us to, but fun things like like Purim where it says in the book of Esther that, that it was a tradition and that all the Jews adhered to this tradition. And we can only assume that even Yeshua the Messiah, even though it doesn't say so, he was a Jew, a Torah-obedient Jew, full-fledged in the community. He had to have celebrated Purim at some point in his life. Well, at least they portray it that way also on The Chosen. But anyway, Lord, we want to thank you for such a fun day that we can celebrate the victory over the Jewish people. And, it, and your word is so amazing that even though that your name or your title is not mentioned anywhere in the book of Esther, your actions are clearly observed all throughout that book. And just as Esther disguised herself and disguised her identity and revealed it at the right time, we get to have fun and dress up in costumes and tell jokes and sing songs and play games. We want to thank you, Lord, to be able to feast and just pig out and eat and have fun on Purim. So we thank you for this day. We thank you for what it means. We thank you for what it represents. Because if this didn't happen, there would have been no New Testament. If this didn't happen, then the chances are very well could have been there would have been no Yeshua the Messiah that we celebrate as our Lord and Savior and Messiah. So, Lord, thank you. And, Lord, we have a bunch of junk food. And I know it's kind of odd to bless junk food, but, you know, hey, we got to let our hair down every once in a while for those of us who have hair. Lord, we want to ask that you just bless this food, bless the time of fellowship and good times, and bless it to our body's use so that we can continue on fulfilling your commands and service to you. For it's in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen.